此就为止。你说的好仁慈。你说忘记的方式，犹豫的时间就没事。我爱的好多事，我没事，我还好没事。去的是，到了明天就没我们的事。你说了你不配，我想你说的对。哦，然后就分开也不迟。我一直说着。
Hi there, everybody. Welcome to this week's Arts Report. It's January 20th, 2016, and you're with me, your host, Ashley Park. Did you know today was um, jeans day? I knew, and yet I did not wear my jeggings. I just wore normal leggings today. Oh, my gosh. Well, we have a lot of stuff ready for you today. So many wonderful things happening. I'm pretty sure I pushed the Push Festival onto you last week and the week before that. But guess what? It started just yesterday. I have a really cool review for you coming up after these short, timely PSAs that you should know about. And in, in, uh, in addition to that, we also have a really cool interview up for you today, as well as some really fun local events that are just happening around the corner. So stay tuned. Warm up your winter with multiple Juno Award winner Alex Cuba as he supports new album Healer. Co-presented by K-Meek and the Blue Shore Centers, Alex Cuba will be at the K-Meek Center in West Van on February 6th, performing at 8. Visit alexcuba.com for tickets and for more information. Portland-based psych band and a group of indie rockers from Baltimore have in common two of the most lauded albums of 2015. Don't miss Unknown Mortal Orchestra and Lower Dens playing Thursday, January 28th at the Rickshaw Theater. Doors open at 8, the show starts at 9, and this event is 19+. Tickets on sale now at TimberConcerts.com, Red Cat, and Zulu Records. Sponsored by CITR Radio 101.9 FM. And welcome back to the Arts Report. Again, I'm your host, Ashley Park. Um, yesterday, I went to see Inked and Murmur. If you guys don't know what that is, you haven't been listening. It is that wonderful opening night show at the 2016 International Performing Arts Festival, the PUSH Festival here in Vancouver. So yesterday, they kicked off the entire festival. It's happening tonight. It's happening until February 6th, and wonderful things are in store for you, so please do check it out if you have the time. And Inkton Murmur was a double bill dance piece performed by Akash Odedra Company from England. And you guys might have heard my interview with the dancer Akash before. It is about his kind of um, contemporary uh, dance style mixed in with his traditional Indian um, dance roots as, known as Kartak and Natya, Brada Natyam. I always get that wrong. Brada Natyam. Anyways, when I first saw it, I was amazed by kind of inked. Um, Akash has such wonderful control of his body. There was one time where just because of the way he positioned his body and used the muscles in such a very like sinuous and flowing kind of movement that what you saw on stage didn't even appear to be human and I'm going to let you listeners fill in what that means with your imagination but definitely he had such mastery and control of how to move and what to move to create such a, a really visceral 
visual image. One thing about ink that he talked about before is that it is based on the tattoos that his grandmother had, and his grandmother was the one who took care of him, and she had these tattoos based on her caste. So inked, he does play with the idea of ink a lot. Um, just a little bit of a small kind of like a spoiler or a teaser, depending on how you look at life. He uses the ink to create these circular, like very almost meditative patterns onto a white canvas just below him. And he's moving his body and it's quite amazing. And for what I can see, it's kind of really just something that was awe-inspiring for me. And what I wanted to do is that I wanted to make sure that everything was kind of, you know, really just smooth. And, and when I saw it, it was just very beautiful. And I will get into Murmur a little bit right after. Murmur was um, about uh, mixing technology with a little bit of um, uh, dance, actually. So you got this, like, visuals, two different things going on. You have that human-esque form. Then you have the technology layered on top of it. Really, really cool stuff. And again, that was on um, yesterday's show, the 19th. And now it'll be again on the 20th. If you want to go see it, it's at the main uh, stage at the Push Festival. So what we're going to do now is we're going to go to another quick commercial, and then I'll get back to you with our very special interview guest. Just wait a little bit, listeners. Celebrate the Year of the Monkey at the largest Lunar New Year event in UBC history. The UBC Centennial Lunar New Year Festival takes place February 5th from 12 to 5 at the Nest. Celebrate at this free event with food, games, arts and crafts, music, and dance performances for people of all ages. Learn more at diversity.ubc.ca. And now welcome back to the Arts Report. Um, now, what I now who I have with me is Shauna Johansson, and she has an upcoming play called Common Grace. It is on January 29th to February the fourteenth uh, at the Pacific Theater. It is about I think um, after spending six months running from her past, Colleen is forced to return home for her father's funeral between the flower chairs casseroles, overpriced caskets, and hidden bottles of wine, she must decide if she can fit into the world she left behind. It's a very provocative and relatable family drama, and now we have her live on air with us. Welcome to the Arts Report, Shauna. Thank you. Thanks very much. Hi, Shauna. Hi. So, first of all, I got a little bit of a little sneak kind of... Um, insider knowledge is that with Common Grace, <laughs> you guys have something to do with food preparation by the actors throughout the story. Is that right? Yeah. Well, the whole, the actual set is a working kitchen, which is mm -hmm. really so much fun to, to come onto a stage and see that there's coffee being brewed and, you know, things being taken in and out of the fridge, which is working and water running and dishes being washed and something just really fun about um, it being so kind of tactile Mm -hmm. Looking really like a real kitchen, and I think there's something then that's so familiar about it, and that's yeah, that's what we wanted it to feel 
almost as if you're sitting looking in on someone's kitchen. Then they're just regular people. So why tie in the aspect of cooking to this idea of, you know, the funeral, you know, with something that's much more of a somber piece? Why add the liveliness of the kitchen? Uh, that's a good question. I think I think um, I think because that's really where stuff happens mm-hmm. for me. All of the important sort of things happen in the kitchen, and um, I think you know if you have ever gone to a funeral or if you've ever been a part of that, you also realize like the stuff that happens right around that in some ways is is the real life stuff. I mean, the funeral is important, and there's a lot of time that goes into kind of what's going to be said and what the flowers are and. Uh, you know, who's going to do what musical piece and what pictures are in the slideshow. But the stuff that is interesting to me in some ways is the stuff around that, how you're, how people are deciding those things and all of the things that you have to do to kind of prepare and the way that the family is grieving and interacting. And, and because, you know, during a funeral or in, in times of grief, it's not only sadness that you have. You also have things like somebody's got to make dinner. And, mm-hmm. you know, somebody tells a joke about dad and everybody laughs and somebody picks a fight with their sister because they can't help themselves or whatever. And that stuff is really, really interesting to me. And I think it's it's kind of the behind-the-scenes stuff that's more interesting. In fact, you know, um, actually in the play, we see the, the after party of the funeral is happening, but it's happening in the other room. We only see what happens in the kitchen, you know, when people kind of sneak in to get more lemon bars or make more coffee. And mm-hmm. I don't know, I think that's where you see the real stuff. In the kitchen is where, like, the home stuff happens. Yeah. Were there any characters or scenarios inspired from your personal experiences while when writing Common Grace? Um, a little bit. I mean, I would say that in some ways I'm a little bit every one of these characters. Mm-hmm. Um, I think as a writer, first of all, I do draw from everyone around me, and I'll, I'll take a line from that I heard over here, or I'll take a character trait from someone that I know, um, you know, or, or something that someone said to me once that I think would be really fitting there. All right, but I also... Um, lend myself to each character. You know, when I'm writing the mother, I'm I'm putting myself in her shoes and wondering what it's like to lose your partner and what it's like when everyone comes into your house when you just really want to be alone and now you have to be a host for all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like uh, so I think I draw from certainly my own family and myself, but also just people that I know or people that I've seen or heard about. And And then after a while, the characters really start to kind of just become their own people. And so I already know what they're going to say sometimes if I put them in a certain situation. And that becomes really fun. What inspired you to write this? And were there any challenges in the writing process of the play? Um, I was, I mean, I was inspired, I think, to write something about home and belonging. But also I wanted to explore this idea of, you know, what happens when your idea of yourself changes mm-hmm. when you do something that surprises you when you so that if you had asked me like two minutes ago or five years ago or 10 years ago, you know, would this ever happen? Would you do this? And I say, no, absolutely not. And then suddenly you find yourself in a place where you've said something or you've done something that you never would have thought you've done. Yes, that's And right. then how you move forward with that, because now your whole idea of yourself has changed. You're different. You've done something you never thought you would do. So in some ways, it also opens up all kinds of possibilities, right? Because mm-hmm. if I never thought I'd do that, what else might I do? Or what kind of person am I if I, I do these things that I didn't think I would do? So that was kind of one of the big things that I wanted to explore a little bit. And also, I just really love families. I love seeing the way that 
sisters interact and families interact because I really love the kind of the way that we know each other in such intimate ways mm-hmm. and can push buttons but also have shared jokes um, you know and also that there are similar qualities when I was writing this play there's three sisters and a mother and it's been really fun to see oh this sister totally does this, this the same way the mom does it you know they both when they're when they get stressed out they start cleaning because mm-hmm. they're trying to manage things or whatever you know or this the mom and this sister they both deal with it with humor or they both and that's been really really fun to see and I think reflective of how real real families are that you're they're kind of the closest people in the world and they're also the people that can push your buttons like no one else now let's talk a little bit about I guess your little theater family what was it like working <laughs> with the uh, the director uh, Ron Reed uh, it was great I mean Ron I mean it is great we're still working on it Ron is um, <laughs> Ron has been part of the process kind of since the beginning of the play. So he's mm-hmm. seen the entire evolution and been a part of the evolution of the play. So, um, you know, back when it was just kind of one act, back when it was just a couple of scenes, I brought it into my writing group here at Pacific Theatre, which is called Working With, and got to hear other playwrights' um, comments on it. I got to hear actors read it aloud. And right from the beginning, you know, you had some feedback and questions about, okay, I don't really understand this character uh, or I'm – not sure where this is going but this is really interesting or I didn't really believe this part what's going on there and that helped me to be able to shape the play it helped me to be able Mm -hmm. to figure out the the characters journeys and how they relate to one another and it also told me what was working and what was not you know when when things would land and when they Mm -hmm. wouldn't and that was really super helpful and now that we're in rehearsal and Ron is kind of you know shaping all of our performances and helping give a give structure to um the the various things we're all bringing to it i think it's it's been just a lovely experience it's so incredible to see this thing that you've seen kind of in two dimensions on the page for so long Mm -hmm. come to life and you yourself are actually playing a character in the play as well yes i am (laughs) so what is it like jumping from you know your your uh, writer hat to your actor hat because it's a whole different thing yeah it's really interesting for me um, because I've lived with the play for two years or longer, two and a half years. And so, you know, in, the, in a lot of ways, I had ideas about how I thought different scenes would go or how I thought different characters were because I, I spent a lot of time with them. And then when I came to rehearsal as an actor, I really had to turn off that part of my brain and go, maybe it's something different. Maybe this whole scene has a different feeling than I thought it does did, you know, maybe... Maybe this act, maybe me playing Colleen now, maybe I'm not actually angry at the top of this scene. Maybe I come and all I really want is to hang out with my sister. And mm-hmm. it's an interesting, Ron has been really, really great at helping me do that, helping me let go of the playwright brain or, you know, even the director brain that's trying to shape those things and really play. And then I'm, I know that I can trust him mm-hmm. to make sure the play works, that I don't, I can be the character and not worry about the scene. Oh, definitely. And one thing I wanted to also mention is that you won a Leo for a short film that you wrote called Beg- Bedbugs, a musical love story. Yes. Yeah, I won, mm-hmm. um, I won the Leo for screenwriting and also for acting in that. I play, I wrote it and then I also starred in it. And it, uh, it was a really fun puppet musical about mm-hmm. bedbugs <laughs> or maybe just misunderstood. That's one thing I kind of like noticed about your work. I feel like because you have written it and you've also kind of brought the character, you know, to life, 
that I, you have a lot of a personal kind of um, touch to your work. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say that, um, I mean, I love also, I love writing and seeing other people do it. I also love acting and things I haven't written. But there's something really fun about getting to combine those things because I feel that I I have kind of put a lot of my heart into it. I put, you know, put my heart into everything that I write kind of. But when you get to explore that, I feel that I know it more intimately. And there, in a way, there's something more satisfying about it because more of it feels like mine. Mm-hmm. You know, more of it feels part of me because I, both I've written the words and I get to play the character and bring it to life. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, and then I get to kind of bring all of those colors. You know, I mean, on, this is kind of a family drama, but I still think it's really funny. It's just, <laughs> but it's more dramatic. And then Bedbugs was of course. more funny with a, with a silly kind of, you know, bit, but it still had kind of a warm, positive message, really. And then I'm actually making another film in a month called, um, well, the title isn't decided yet, but it's about a, a couple trying to have a baby. Mm-hmm. And it is a comedy, but it also has a lot of kind of dark humor in it. And I, I like being able to mix all those things. Of course, because that's what life is. What you mentioned exactly. with the funeral, like people put on that nice kind of little, you know, like somber but serious face for the funeral, but back in the kitchen, everyone's kind of joking, everyone's doing yeah. something different. There's sadness and happiness. Yeah, exactly. And then all of a sudden someone will say something and, and you remember mm-hmm. and people start crying and then somebody cracks a joke, you know, and then somebody – and I, I – that happens in life, so that's what that's what I want to see. Those are the moments that interest me. All right, and for other people who want to see those moments as well, again, your show, Common Grace, it's on January 29th to February the 14th. It's on Wednesdays and to Saturdays at 8 p.m., and you have a 2 p.m. Saturday matinee. If people were you know, interested in getting tickets for it, where could they possibly um, get some? They can go to the website, um, pacifictheater.org. Um, or they can call the Pacific Theater box office. And I think the box office is usually open noon till 4. All right. Again, thank you so much for joining us today on the Arts Report. Uh, again, everyone, this is Shauna Johansson. She wrote the play Common Grace, January 29th to February the 14th at Pacific Theater. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. All right. Now okay. we'll get to a few short messages, and we'll get right back to really cool reviews. You're listening to CITR 101.9, broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus, located on the traditional, unceded, Coast Salish territory of the Hunkaminam-speaking Musqueam people. Nothing, really. <laughs> Not very convincing, Jane girl. Whatever it is, I've got just the cure for it. One, two, three, four. Did you know CITR has a women's collective? This brand new collective is all about providing and fostering a community for women who are or who want to be in radio, fighting the gender disparity in media, and centering women's voices and issues. If you are a female-identified person or ally who's already involved in radio or wants somewhere to start, this collective is for you. Email womenscollective at citr.ca for more information and to get involved. And tune in Friday at 6 p.m. for the collective show, Lady Radio, featuring music, interviews, events, news, commentary. Basically anything we care to talk about. See you then.
Well, how do you like it? There's only one word for it. And welcome back to the Arts Report. I am your host, Ashley Park. You're listening to CITR Radio 101.9 FM, broadcasting from unceded Musqueam territory in Vancouver. And now I'm just going to return a little bit back to the PUSH Festival. So uh, tonight we have Inked and Murmur again, if you are interested in uh, seeing the show. We also have um, Boom that will be uh, reviewed next week. It'll be really great. I'm just going to give you a little, little taste of it. So... Boom. It's about baby boomers. They've lived through McCarthyism, Maoism, the Vietnam War, and the struggle of the civil rights movement. Um, they may be your parents. They may be your grandparents. They may be even you. In which case, thanks. You and your generation help change the world. Rick Miller's show is a record of those changes. Through music, video, and vocal virtuosity, he gives us 25 years of history that we're still kind of reeling from today. And boy, are we reeling. This is a one-man show bursting at the seams. It's got personal stories, insightful commentary, and killer multimedia. And did we mention the music? I'm just going to mention again. Great music. From Buddy Holly to The Who, Blue Moon to The Eve of Destruction, Miller channels the soundtrack of history through his own amazing voice. It's wise, funny, and, yes, explosive. <laughs> and this is a trip down memory lane you won't soon forget. And Rick Miller, he's an award-winning performer. He's an actor, director, musician, writer, and educator. He's, uh, he is now based in Toronto, but he hails from Montreal. And he's worked in different languages across the, the globe. So if you are interested in seeing Boom, it is at the Arts Club Theatre on the Granville Island stage, January 14th to February the 13th, Monday to Thursdays at 7.30 p.m., Wednesdays at 1.30, Friday and Saturday 8 p.m., and there's a 2 p.m. Saturday matinee. If you are interested in the uh, post-show talk on February the 2nd, it is eligible in the push pass, uh, January 19th to February 6th only. It is quite uh, a really good look on what made this kind of little, I guess, historical little, I guess, like microcosm affect the huge, the, the bigger kind of history that we live in today. Another really cool show that you should check out, it is starting uh, tonight, January 20th, um, if you are interested in that, is what I mentioned before. We have Inked and Murmured. Another cool show is January 21st, 10 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. called Voo. A, the world of circus artist Etienne Manso is a strange, funny, and rather scary place. It's a place where newspapers can become claws, where small obsessions can make you crazy. It can make you can make everything kind of like everyday objects just change and transfigure themselves into a new light as they're touched, moved, and done something a little weird with them. Manso's performance is wordless, a blend of object theater, clowning, and what the artist calls miniature circus. It's a mix that could only come from the mind of an eccentric. One thing is this show is not conventional. Manso has worked for years as a juggler and has had deep involvement in circus culture. The show, which he performs alone, applies the comical ethos of the Circle Milieu to a work comprised of one man and his collection of everyday objects. It's about a sensitive, meticulous man and his relationship with these objects and how he transforms them and how, in turn, they affect him. The creator shows wit, wonderful dexterity, and small-scale ingenuity in creating art out of the quotidian. 
In his comic mugging, his precise physical feats, and sheer wackiness, he calls upon the tradition of old-fashioned physical comedy. You'll be amused, impressed, and maybe a little bit spooked. The show is a lot of fun, but like all most creative art, it reaches well beyond entertainment. And what we're going to do is now we're going to go to a few short messages, then I'll have one of our really cool reporters on air to tell you what's up with UBC. UBC English Students Association is hosting the Colloquium, their second annual conference, on Saturday, January 30th, from noon to 6 in the Dodson Room in the Irving K. Barber Learning Center. The Colloquium will feature presentations from English students as well as feature faculty presenters, including Dr. Robert Rouse, Dr. Tiffany Potter, and Dr. Adam Frank. Attendance to the program is free and refreshments will be provided, so please visit the UBC English Students Association on Facebook in order to reserve your free ticket. Alright, and welcome back to the Arts Report. I am joined here by Arts Reporter... Jake Clark. Yes, welcome to the show, Jake. It's a pleasure to be here as always. And Jake, I think you have something to tell us about the Norn Theater. Yep, that's right. And this is probably is especially relevant to the music programs here, is that on Friday there is a beer garden for This is Spinal Tap, the Ooh. legendary Christopher Guest mockumentary. Yeah. Doors are at 7, the movie starts at 8. Mm -hmm. uh, no minors, dude, seriously. That, that was Big Lebowski. That was the big, sorry, that was Big Lebowski. We had one for that, too. But, uh, yeah, so it's it's uh, $5 if you're not a member of the Film Society. Film Society members come in free, uh, and they have beer and cider uh, there. It's, uh, it's, it's a good show. Highly recommend it. Mm -hmm. And then after that, on Saturday, there's a double feature of Roadkill and Hardcore Logo, which are, Roadkill's this very strange Canadian movie about a yeah. rock band manager who kind of loses his mind, I think, is... My understanding of it, and he doesn't uh -huh. have a driver, so he gets like a driving student to drive him around. So that's so that's something. Yeah, and then Hardcore Logo is a documentary about this uh, also Canadian band, these Canadian rock and roll movies. It's quite a genre, apparently. Hey, Canadian rock and roll! It's oh, yeah. The coolest oh, yeah. thing. I'm looking to... forward. You know, you know Neil Young, Bruce Coburn. We, yeah. we definitely got. Uh, we definitely have that to our name, and then uh, yeah, like there's some there's some pretty solid ones also. Uh, there's a Wes Anderson double feature on, Ooh. yeah, tomorrow there's a Rushmore and the Royal Tenenbaums. I, I really like both Rushmore and the Royal Tenenbaums. I've seen both of them. They're really nice. I, like, I, I just love Bill Murray. You know, anything Bill Murray. So <laughs> Anything Bill Murray? Well, I got a book called The Big Bad Book of Bill Murray, which is just a encyclopedic analysis of his career. And he's been in all of Wes Anderson's movies save one, his first one. Mm -hmm. Rushmore. Uh, no, uh, oh, no, no, the, the, no uh, bottle, bottle, bottle rocket, rocket. bottle yeah. rocket. That's Thanks. it. Cause, yeah, bottle rocket. You know, I had a funny moment with that. I, I was talking to a friend of mine, and we were talking about Bill Murray. He's like, was Bill Murray in Rush Rushmore? And he goes to me, think about what you just said. <laughs> and I, was, I was like, okay, okay, I'm sorry about that. I didn't think Your about it either. Your friend's going to judge me, too. Oh, my God. Yeah, he's not, yeah, he's <laughs> yeah. not in bottle rocket. Anyway. And uh, so, but I did also have the honor of finding something else, which was Ooh, Blackbird Theater's 10th anniversary production of Richard, Richard Brinsley Sheridan's The Rivals. 
All right, tell us more about The Rivals. So The Rivals is a play written by this, well, this fellow Sheridan, who uh, was the 1770s, I believe, when it was written. Okay. And they updated the play to the Edwardian era. They cut a sizable ah. amount of the original text, about two hours worth, which I think was for the better. And this is an interesting play. Uh, it's about, well, it's about romantic rivals, and it's a comedy of manners. You know, it's very, very uh, English. Yeah, very yeah. English, very British. Uh, dueling is a thing. And the funny thing is that Sheridan uh, wrote this after he was recovering from getting the Absolute crap beaten out of him in a duel. Whoop. Oh, and it was that profane? Really? I don't know. Absolute crud. Let's uh, just let's just keep it G. Yeah. Okay. Okay. You know. And uh, and uh, sorry, the train of thought got derailed. There we go. Back on it. Yeah. Yep. And just Sheridan guy was a really witty guy. It shows through in the script. Like there's a story about him. They'd call it uncorking the old sherry in Parliament <laughs> when he came out because he was he was for the Whigs. He's the Liberal side, and yep. Edmund Burke, also an Irishman, was <laughs> on the Tory side. And Edmund Burke really hated the French Revolution. So he was making this very bombastic, very powerfully dramatic speech to the, to the British Parliament. We have to go into France. Uh, we have to go into France or, uh, or things will happen very badly. And so that's mainly the unfortunate Irish accent. Please don't judge me. But then he caps this off. You know how in Give Me Liberty or Give Me Death he stabbed yeah. himself? Yeah. Burke throws a knife into the floor of Parliament. Uh. Sheridan goes, where's the fork? <laughs> so that's the that's the kind of wit you see in the rivals, and it's mm-hmm. you know you know how uh, mal you know the term malaprop. Yep. That's named after a character in the rivals called Mrs. Malaprop, who's one of the she's sort of the villain. You, there's no real villains in this, but there there's kind of she's an antagonistic character, mm-hmm. and she has some hilarious lines because very deliberately the woman who plays it this is excellently acted production, and. It's just some very solid work by all involved, and the woman, but especially the woman who plays the woman who plays Miss Malaprop, though Gabrielle Rose. I talked to her after the show, mm-hmm. along with uh, Lisa Joick, who played Julia Melville, yes. and um, a uh, and uh, a uh, John Emmett Tracy, who played Falkland, and Emma Slip, who played Lydia Languish, and uh, the, these are all the, these are, I couldn't make the names up for these, and there's very interestingly <laughs> no, no, named characters. Can't. There were there were other characters as well, but I talked to these uh, these actors at length. They were very good and. And um, it just Mrs. Malaprop is a character, very entertaining uh, character, because she goes. I remember this line. She goes, she's. They're talking about this one man is really annoyed at women reading. Again, this was written in the 1770s. Yeah, yeah. So, women reading? How dare they? Yeah, he. Go, yeah, he thinks it creates madness. And yeah. he. And she goes, I should not allow them to read, but I should. Uh, or, or maybe she does. I'm not. I. It's. It's. She's. We're talking about limiting education. She goes, I should want them to have a grasp of geometry so they can learn the contagious countries. Oh, no. <laughs> and it was, like, it was a geometry for geometry. That was, that was the one I remember. They were all brilliantly delivered, though. So many of those those little jokes. And this uh, it's also, like, a mistaken identity thing. It's, okay. like, there's uh, there's different subplots. The main plot is this character, uh, Jack Absolute, who has been posing as a poor officer to... Um, to uh, sort of court this this uh, young lady, Mrs. Malaprop's ward and niece, mm-hmm. who's uh, she's very she's very fond of romance novels, so she loves the idea. But it turns out Jack Absolute, the guy who's pretending to be this ensign Beverly, yep. ensign Beverly, is a captain from really nice family, and he oh. actually gets engaged to her courtesy of his father. Uh, well, uh, yeah. So he's trying to figure out how to make this work. Okay. Using this, and there's all sorts of the rivals are is is a very is an app title because there are several other people. Uh, um, trying to uh, get uh, trying to uh, be, get involved with uh, this with Lydia Languish, who's the lady in question. There's also a very entertaining subplot where his friend Falkland is involved with this with Julia Melville, another character. And Falkland is a chronic overthinker. He's extremely neurotic 
and he keeps trying to test if he's loved. I think he's got je- yeah yeah he's got he's profoundly jealous you know okay. so he he keeps doing these immense this is really emotionally kind of emotionally abusive pranks to to try and the tests to try and see if she actually loves him and the fellow uh, who plays him John Emmett Tracy I got to say this was astoundingly acted across the board but this uh, he is this incredible it's not he doesn't overact but he has this incredibly physical style that is just seems like he's in perfect control of his body and it drives the comic point just so amazingly like it's a lot of the performances are OTT but they're excellently done you never get the sense that they pay anything more uh, that any more than it's due it's exactly on point like I, there are a few plays that i've seen that have probably a perfect amount of ke- a perfect chemistry between the actors involved this would be one of them it was just amazing in that regard staging was also very interesting because the set doubles for a lot of different uh different areas it's a very it, it's hard to describe and there's a very interesting scene in the beginning where uh lydia is actually getting out of a bubble bath and it's uh, we, this the actress who, uh, who portrayed her actually talked about this, and uh, I'm sorry my memory's going a little bit, but she uh, talked she talked about this, and it uh, there's there's no water in it, but there is uh, Emma slip. I'm 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 I, I'm sorry about that. That's a, but she uh, she talked about this after afterward because there was a Q and A afterward with the uh, the cast and. She talked about there was no water in it, but there was quite a lot of bubbles, and they had to set that up while people were coming in. And she, uh, she came in, and there was actually a high school in attendance. They were in the wings, and uh, it's like it was they could they they had seen nothing. Like it was, it, she transferred from from the bath to a robe flawlessly. Like no no, <laughs> there was there was no wardrobe malfunction. Okay. Oh, and, and and it was I, I just imagine how hard that scene would have been to just get down so perfectly. Yeah, and, it would have been. Yeah, it's it's it, it, and it was amazing how that was set up. And uh, there, there is, there's, uh, there, like, there's some other uh, points that are are worth noting about it. Is like, I, I do want to talk about the the set itself because the set is really interesting. It's not anything. It's not a gestalt kind of location. Okay. But it can double for anything else. It's Aww. it's these little elevations and a uh, place where it it's uh, a rotating counter. On one side is the bath, and on the other side is the is the patio for the house. So when that rotates, you can get that, and it's, it's very masterfully set up. The direction on this is is very very good. And I think they treated the text very well because in the original Mrs. Malaprop, a lot of the humor is extremely vicious uh. towards her because she's a shrill older lady. A lot of the play's jokes apparently in the original are just, look how stupid the older generation is. Oh, no. And uh, that, that, it, that'd be kind of cruel. Yeah. And they, they've noticed that masterfully. They do make uh, her to be kind of buffoonish and uh, Malaprop, but she's very human. She's still a human. She's quite a human character and understandably so. Like the closest thing to a bad guy is this Lucius O'Trigger guy. That's he sounds a little. He he sounds like a little bit of a character that's like he's a little an, shady. He's an Irishman in the original, but he's a Southern American. He's a he's a Dixie. He's a Dixie boy in this one, <laughs> and uh, he's got this robust mustache and. Uh, the the long the longish hair in the back and he he's actually quite um he's he's an interesting he's an interesting villain because I, mm. I I Sheridan would originally written him as an Irishman who's an outsider okay. to the 1770s but not so much later on but the English love to make fun of Americans and oh it, yeah, well, yeah we like to make fun of Americans too and it's kind of you know Americans do that to the broad targets US, the so Canadians. that's uh so they, they they play him as being this this kind of pompous. Very kind, very uh, kind of honestly, like not really buffoonish, but 
a little venal kind of um, expatriate. And he's this is in Bath. This is not in London, England, because Bath was this kind of resort town where they'd go for the waters. Mm-hmm. And you know, uh, the, um, Lydia takes a bath at the beginning, so maybe that's that's part of the. Uh, that <laughs> I I actually just realized that that could have been a joke. Oh man, I. That's okay. Yes, this is. A, but what I mean to say is that this is an amazing play. It's currently on at the Culture Historic Theater, where it will be going until the twenty third. Mm-hmm. And uh, Blackbird Theater is it's it's it sets they set it up very well. It's impeccably done. And if you if you want to see some excellent chemistry, like you want to see why plays like uh, plays survive as long as they do, this is an excellent case for that. Well, you certainly made your case in championing you know the rivals. It sounds like a really wonderful uh, show. Mm-hmm. And again, when is it and um, what time? It would be on at 8 o'clock during most weekdays. All right, great. And just so there's other sort of theatrical events, if you are mm-hmm. akin to the UBC kind, we have UBC Theatre and Films Eurydice opening um, actually tonight for a preview. But their really? yeah, grand opening is tomorrow. And Eurydice is written by uh, Sarah Rule. It's directed by MFA candidate Kelty Forsyth. And tagline, Eurydice, she went to hell. He went to get her. Haunting, evocative, and minimalist. This contemporary American retelling of the ancient Greek Orpheus and Eurydice myth. Orpheus. I, uh, I, was, yeah. I kept thinking Oedipus, Orestes, no, Orpheus. Yep, it's one of those O's. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyways, you, you know the Orpheus and Eurydice myth yeah, very well, yeah, right? Yeah. For those who don't know, why don't you tell them? Well, Orpheus literally goes to hell and back. Yeah. For uh, his wife Eurydice, who's died, and should I should I spoil the twist at the end? Like there is a. Oh, don't spoil the twist, but tell us what Orpheus does. Well, let's just say he's he's very very persuasive because Orpheus is a musician who has a magic liar. Yeah. So he's he kind of charms Hades into telling him. He also knocks out Cerberus mm-hmm. with 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 music. I mean, gee, like Christ, even Hercules had to choke him out. But <laughs> at Orpheus, no, I could you just plays a pretty nice scale. Isn't and it really weird how musicians are apparently written as attractive in any century? Well, I don't know. Yeah, I can see it. Yeah. Like it's and it's a charming story. There's a it's 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 got an end to it though. Mm-hmm. Like just let's just say you know how Lot's wife turned into a pillar of salt? Oh. Uh, similar similar occurrence there. <laughs> Anyways, the retelling of the ancient Greek Orpheus and Eurydice myth is basically a fairy tale for those who still believe in them. Eurydice's father has been writing her letters from uh, Hades, but when a dangerous stranger tempts Eurydice with the details, she is soon sent tumbling after him. Orpheus goes to get his girl, but both must follow the underworld's rules in order to find their way home. And if that doesn't sound interesting, one thing the UBC Theater and Film Department wanted me to kind of let you guys know is there is an elevator, and it is raining inside the elevator. A elevator. No, but maybe. Hmm. Who knows? If that's if that's kind of like I need to know what is elevator elevator with water inside. I need to know what it is. Yeah, that. that yeah. Want to know? And this, is this a stage show or is this, this is a, a this is a stage show? Yeah. All right. Starting uh, today, seven seven o'clock preview. Um, starting tomorrow, opening night. The award-winning Sarah Rule is one of America's sharpest stage voices. Her writing is alert, engaging, and utterly arresting. And directed by MFA candidate Kelty Forsyth. I heard that the um, staging is going to be wonderful. We have a very, very talented cast of 13 members. It is um, starting January 21st until February the 6th, 7.30 p.m. at the Freddie Wood 
Theater. Opening night reception is tomorrow, January 21st. And there is a very special thing happening at the opening night. If you go there, there will also be an after party at the um, lobby of the Freddie Wood. If you want to kind of, you know, bump elbows with the actors, the director, um, and get to, you know, know people a little more better. Network. That's where it is. Network. Or even just, I loved what you did in the show. Right. Yeah, why not? That's a wonderful thing. Um, again, Eurydice, starting today, 7 o'clock p.m. Um, for the preview, but starting tomorrow, 7.30. And there's no performances on Sunday to Tuesday. Another really cool show that's a little underground that I need to let you guys know. I've dug it out. It's the UBC Arts and Culture Night with Blank Vinyl Project, UBC Improv, and UBC Slam Poetry. This is at the Great Hall. Yeah at the Museum of Anthropology. So it's on Wednesday, January the 27th. It is at 5.30. The show's starting around 6 o'clock all the way to 8.30. It's only $4 admission. And the cool thing about this um, event is that you have all these wonderfully creative clubs, UBC Improv, Slam Poetry, Blank Vinyl Project, at the Great Hall. So the venue is MOA. So you get to see all these like cool artifacts juxtaposed with some improv with a little bit of slam poetry going a little bit of live music basically moa has always been cool we're just making a little bit more cooler for that night all right and sounds good yeah and in addition if you guys are interested in going after you go and you get your uh ticket there are after parties at kerner's and Beercraft westbrook village you get a 15 percent off and you can you know hey why not treat a friend it's pretty good and again, that is Wednesday, January the 27th, um, the UBC Arts and Culture Night with Blank Vinyl Project, UBC Improv, UBC Slam Poetry at the Great Hall in the Museum of Anthropology, 5.30 p.m. And now we're just going to go to a very quick, quick little PSA, and you'll be back with more Arts Report with your host, Ashley Park, and Arts Reporter, Jake Clark. Yeah. the monkey at the largest Lunar New Year event in UBC history. The UBC Centennial Lunar New Year Festival takes place February 5th from 12 to 5 at the Nest. Celebrate at this free event with food, games, arts and crafts, music, and dance performances for people of all ages. Learn more at diversity.ubc.ca. And welcome back to the Arts Report. If you're going, Ashley, I kind of, you know, I, I like going to these things, but I don't have time at nighttime. I want to, you know, go to things while I'm still here on campus and maybe want to take a little bit of a break. What can I go to? Well, listeners, if you remember, um, just not too long ago, we um, had an interview with Jonathan Gerard, who's one of the uh, directors and conductors at the... Um, UBC uh, music department and he let us know that there are really cool lunchtime happenings and that's to say it's still going on they have a wonderful kind of basically lunchtime concerts for you to go and listen to um, some of them are free some of them are really cheap like five dollars or so but don't take you know my word for it just go and check it out 
one thing that's happening that's coming up is um, January 27th, Wednesday, Wednesday noon hours. Again, this is at noontime. Um, it's called Remember This. You have Robin Dreidgert-Klassen on soprano, Christy Reside flute, Terrence Dawson on piano. Um, they have a show that's going to be at the Barnett Hall, 12 uh, not $12, excuse me, $5 a door. It's 12 p.m. though. And again, it's really good to just kind of go to these local events and just chill out, listen to some really good music. There's so much talent here, especially local talent from, you know, your fellow UBC uh, students. So it's really cool to check it out. You know what? That's always good to see. Yeah, definitely. And if you're thinking, you know, uh, I kind of want to do something different, you can um, if you are thinking of going to perhaps the Belkin, which I recommend. They have these wonderful um, a new sort of um, new sort of exhibits up at the Belkin, uh, new art gallery pieces. And also, if you go to the Belkin, there's all there's a um, there's something related to actually having actually having. Uh, a tea talks with um, the uh, the indigenous members in our community. Sorry about that. Having a little bit of a cotton mouth could not get that out. Anyways, anyways, if you are interested in that, please do check it out. UBC has so many very cool local events that are just kind of waiting for you to check it out and get involved. Another cool thing I need to tell you guys about is I think we all missed our kind of our favorite, our good friends sharing. Science. They will be coming up after a few more short messages. And Sharing Science's uh, show is about the science of mindset and stereotype threat. It features Alan, Rohit, and Tanya. So this is the Arts Report, January 20th, 2016, with your host, Ashley Park. And Jake Clark. And Jake Clark. And thank you so much. Cheers. Cheers. See you next week. A stack of records here, a stack of records there. I got records scattered all over everywhere, but I'm looking Discorder magazine has been supporting independent music for over 30 years, and it keeps on living by joining efforts with local music supporters such as Vinyl Records. You can find a selection of Vinyl Records' featured albums on the back cover of Discorder and can support your favorite local bands and artists by purchasing their records. For more information on their vast selection of new, used, and rare music, go to vinylrecords.ca.